A pleasant good morning to everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Coles Brown Show right here on the Black College Sports Network. Yours truly, Coles Brown, joined by Charles Edmond of the Alcorn State Radio Network, special guest host for one hour, 11 to 12. That's Central Standard Time. Here's the guest menu for April 23rd. Of course, Charles Edmond joins us in hour number one. Dr. Kenyatta Kavir of Inside the HBCU Sports Lab, he'll join me. Also, Larry Harrell Jr. got a new position. He's a head football coach in Atlanta, Georgia. He joins me, but guess what? He was a former offensive lineman at Southern University, and he actually played in the first SWAT football championship in 1999. Charles, I, I don't know if you were there for the first SWAT championship, were you? No, I was not there. I you was missed not it. there. Uh, I believe it was in uh, was it in Birmingham, was it? Yes, uh, mm-hmm. in Birmingham, and that's all I know. <laughs> oh, come on, Charles, you're a little bit younger than me. You gotta have yeah. that memory. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. All I know is it was in Birmingham. Do I want to say? No, I, I want to say, was it U, UAPB, Jackson? I, I, I don't know. I can't. I, I don't even want to go in at all the teams, the teams that were there. I just know it was in Birmingham. Well, I'll tell you. It, the first SWAC football championship in 1999, Southern University and Jackson State University. What a game. I tell you what, I've got just a, a snippet of that game, and, and I'll play that when Larry Harrell Jr., joins us. He was an offensive lineman there, and boy, that game, big plays, explosiveness, and yours truly is even in a clip. If you watch the <laughs> whole game, when the announcers are interviewing Bo Jackson, and if you look, you'll see in the, the booth next to to where the interview's taking place, it's a guy that looks just like me. So, I got a famous shot back in 1999. But Larry Harold Jr. joins us here on the Coles Brown Show. Coach Van Petaway, big announcement. I didn't put it in my trending notes. Oh, yes, I did. They uh, have selected their new men's basketball coach. I remember last week, Charles, he said it was going to be a, a, a it was going to happen. It was going to be a, he was happy with the hire. And um, it looks great on paper. I mean, the bio looks great, but we'll talk about that shortly. And then last but not least, he's associate head football coach at Southern University, well-known in black college athletics, associate head coach, linebackers coach, and special teams coach, Coach Terrence Graves, scheduled to join me in our number two. Here's what's trending on the Coles Brown Show. Wow. Vice President A.D. Courtney Gosheck who I've had the pleasure of interviewing several times on this show. He is he's step, he's stepping down. He's resigned. And it is a whole lot of issues surrounding that. I'm on the outside looking in. I'll rely on my colleagues maybe to get me up to speed on what really is happening. But he steps down. Dr. Cavill's coming up very shortly in the next few minutes. And with him, he's going to talk about um, media contracts, broadcast, digital content, 
SWAC bylaws and how during this process, what must take place, and I'm gonna try to word this here, that if you have your own personal deal as far as institution, conference games, that's a certain process that you have to go through. Now, I'm gonna try to separate it from the conference bylaws and then the individual institutions. But Dr. Covilla will do a better job of uh, kind of getting me up to speed on all of this and explaining uh, that situation. Alabama A&M hires Coach Otis Hewley Jr. as a 10th head men's basketball coach at Alabama uh, A&M. And uh, this morning, lo and behold, I looked up. Sherman Page throws a perfect game, Charles. Grad student against Alcorn State, but not because it was Alcorn State, but a perfect game game when was the last time or has it ever happened before in the southwestern athletic conference the baseball gurus will sure send me a message or charles you may know i do not know um i'm gonna say it's a first but i'm probably wrong about mm. that i'm gonna say it's a first Maybe but not. don't hold me I mean, when you talk about a perfect game, you're talking about no walks. You don't hit anybody. You're talking about, um, I mean, it was a 16 nothing game, so it went seven innings. So you're talking about 21 outs without a walk, without a blemish, without an HBP. You don't allow a base runner. That's a perfect game. You're absolutely perfect. That is a tremendous feat, I'm going to tell you. And um, speaking of baseball, you're in the thick of the race of the Southwestern Athletic Conference. And, um, of course, I was disappointed last weekend. You know why, Charles? Southern University got swept by Prairie View. And uh, G. Boom Holly, I appreciate that uh, text message. At least on my Facebook page with the, with the broom, Charles. It was a sweep. He's a Prairie View and them alumnus. Hey, I congratulate Prairie View and them. And then in the last two seasons, Charles, in the regular season, Prairie View and them, they just had Southern's number. And then, by the way, Southern bounces back against Texas Southern. They have Texas Southern number so far in the regular season, winning 11-0 yesterday. And then Mississippi Valley State, what, 12-2 over Bethune-Cookman? Wow. This race, I'm going to tell you, it, it will come down to the end, I believe you know, as far as battling for seating positions, but I think the top teams, it's going to be their job to maintain consistency. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm again, I'm not surprised. Um, I think that, you know, you still have a lot of moving pieces in baseball. I still think pitching is still going to be a tough sell this year. I think there's going to be a lot of runs, and you, and you indicated in the scores. I think it's going to be pretty high scoring the rest of the way because I'm just going to say that, you may, other than Page of Grambling, who is probably going to be pitcher of the year in the Southwestern Athletic Conference, I think he solidified that last night. I think as far as pitching staffs are concerned, it's kind of convoluted in terms of a dominant pitching staff. Even Bama State normally has quality arms. They've got a lot of arms, but their pitching is kind of, you know, kind of been up and down. So I I think you're going to see a lot of high scores the rest of the regular season. And I said it a couple of weeks ago, I predict this will be the highest scoring SWAC baseball tournament we've ever seen. I think it's going to be 14, 13, 11, 10, all the way across the board, especially once you get deeper in these brackets. 
Uh, but it also shows that teams are hitting the cover off the baseball, like a Grambling, uh, like a Southern at times, like a Texas Southern at times, like a Prairie View at times. So I think right now the hitting is taking advantage of not so great pitching at this point. You know, and, and and I'll make a note of this, a mental note to remember. And if this happens, I don't know where I heard it first, Charles, you, with, with your prediction, the hitting is as well, but, you know, once again, I guess my concerns, and I'm not a baseball guru. You're much more of a baseball guru than I am. I give credit where credit is due. But I really believe you've got, a, you know, each institution may may have, all baseball teams, they have a, a dental, dental, let me back up. They have a pitcher or two that they identify with that are very strong. But if that pitcher has an off day. And it happens. Would you agree with that, Charles? It happens. Then who has the best bullpen or or development? And to me, even when I've been to regional play, you'll see that from our school. So it's quality issue, quantity, but which bullpen maybe can step up? Maybe some bullpens are not performing up to par right now. Can they develop about time the the, the uh, tournament starts? And in, in, in if you know, and, and I see it in, in, in game one, day one. A lot of times you've seen the starting pitcher go seven, eight innings, if if he can go, because it just it just doesn't seem that the programs are not, or they haven't developed the bullpen to their liking. And so, I'm saying all this to say, let's see how the bullpen. Who will develop their bullpen if they haven't already as far as in a tournament? But to your point, if it's going to be high scoring, then I maybe maybe I'll have my answer already about pitching in the bullpen. Yeah, I don't I don't think right now, I think if you talk to any coach with, you know, tournament doesn't start for about five weeks, five to six weeks, I think about five weeks. So I think right now, I don't think any team can can say that they have their bullpen solidified at this point. You still have some critical conference games coming up. You still have some midweek games coming up in which you're still trying to develop that. So I, I'm going to say right now it's it's zero. Um, zero to maybe one, two at the most of the 12 teams. I just think that's that's something that, uh, that coaches, not saying that I focused on it, but they're still trying to develop that. I think right now, I think if you ask any coach, can you name your three solid starters right now? I think that's going to be a hard question to answer for a lot of coaches. Mm-hmm. You know, three. You know, uh, and I think how about two? Think, uh, well, I, I give them three because I, I look at a team like Alabama State, for example. I think they can probably go three, but that's about it. You know, in previous times when Melendez was a coach, he can probably name five because that's just how deep they were, and they are deep in terms of pitching. Talking about Bama State with Coach Vasquez, what he's got but I don't think he has the same quality that he's had. So I, I think I'm just going to say three because I'm stretching a little bit. But um, and, and to your point, you're, you're probably right as well in terms of two, you know, maybe one, one and a half. I mean, I, I think right now that's kind of where we are. And I think teams are hoping and holding their breath come tournament time. If your number one starter in game one can give you eight innings or seven, then you've set your bullpen up. But if your number one guy that you're probably going to go with in game one, unless you have really, really deep pitching, 
if he only goes five innings and then your number two guy can, can only get you a third of an inning or an inning or two, and then you're struggling to finish it, then you're deeper in your bullpen for game two, then you're really holding your breath and you're probably in trouble. So I, I think right now, about five weeks left before the tournament, I think it's it's a very serious question, but I don't think coaches have a whole bunch of answers right now if they were to be honest about it. Well, with that being said, we're going to take a quick timeout. Dr. Kenyatta Cavill is ready. I guess we're going to go to class, Charles, or at least I feel <laughs> that way. Um, but Dr. Cavill will join us after this quick timeout. So let's do that. You're watching the Coles Brown Show on the Black College Sports Network. We'll be right back. Oh, that spin class was brutal. Well, you can try using the Buick's massaging seat. Oh, yeah, that's nice. Can I use Apple CarPlay to put some music on? Sure. It's wireless. Pick something we all like. Okay, hold on. What's your Buick's Wi-Fi password? Buick Envision 2021. Oh, you should pick something stronger that's really predictable. That's a really tight spot. Don't worry. I used to hate parallel parking. Me too. Hey. Really outdid yourself. Yes, we did. The all-new Buick Envision, an SUV built around you, all of you. Top HBCU programs in the nation come to Montgomery, Alabama's Riverwalk Stadium this May 11th through 14th for the Black College World Series. The best Black College baseball teams in the NCAA Division II and the NAIA will battle for Black Baseball's ultimate prize. Games will be streamed live at www.mybcsn.net. Tickets are available now online at www.blackcollegechampionships.com. From novice to aficionado, find yourself here. High quality cigars plus personal customer service. Slowburn is Waco's only mobile cigar lounge featuring a meticulous curated collection of premium cigars. Visit our website, www.slowburnwaco.com. That's www.slowburnwaco.com. Charmin Ultra Soft has so much cushiony softness, it's hard for your family to remember. They can use less. Sweet pillows of softness. This is soft. Holy Charmin. Oh, excuse me. Roll it back, everybody. Sorry. Charmin Ultra Soft is so cushiony soft, you'll want more. But it's so absorbent, you can use less. So it's always worth it. Now, what did we learn about using less? You gotta roll it back, everybody. <laughs> we all go. <laughs>
this week's edition of the Coles Brown Show right here on the Black College Sports Network. Before I get to my first special guest, just kind of want to mention uh, big news. Black College World Series for 2022. Now they have a uh, title sponsor. Tyson's Food announced that it will be the title sponsor of the Black College Sports Black College World Series in each of the next three years. For 2022, the Black College World Series, and this is baseball, of course, will be played from May 11th to May 15th at Ruwalk Stadium in Montgomery, Alabama, and will involve eight HBCU baseball teams. Dr. Cavill, Charles Edmund, Dr. Cavill, you're on the uh, committee, if I'm not mistaken, with this. Talk really about this exciting news for Black College World Series and getting a title sponsor uh, for the next three years. Well, Carlos, uh, first, thank you for uh, allowing me to join you all this distinguished show um, of how you've uh, been a part of covering HBCU sports and news and culture for a minute. I'll say it like that. I'll be kind to you. But with that said, with regards to your actually question, uh, it's significant. As you know, to operate this mm-hmm. show is why I brought it up. Um, to um, provide any contest, it takes revenues to do that. And the best opportunity to get revenues associated being able to make sure that you can have a functional event is from sponsors. And to get the title sponsor is significant. And this is a multi-year sponsorship. So it allows us to look down the road to make sure what we do today uh, can continue uh, for a long standing. So we're extremely excited about this opportunity. Credit for all those that are involved, you know, Michael Coker, who in a lot of ways is leading the way, Roy Evans that does a lot of production work in the background for us, A.D. Drew, um, to name a few of them, are all involved in pushing the buttons, if you would, and making sure all the hard work goes up front such that the actual event can go off smoothly. And before you know it, May 11th through the 15th, we'll be here very quickly. Charles, last year... Yes, sir. Charles, last year you uh, participated in the in the Black College World Series. You you have any thoughts on the significance of Tyson Food now being a title sponsor for the next three years? Uh, it's impressive to me. I mean, being a part of of the Black College of the Black College World Series last year, I, I appreciate the opportunity, and you could just see the potential of how it it really can take off and explode. And now that you have a title sponsor behind it. Now you can do some other things and really grow it the way it's supposed to grow. And I think it will. It's just it's just a, a seed in the ground and it's growing. And now that you got a title sponsor, it will continue to blossom and develop. You got the right people behind it. You got the, the right broadcast entities behind it. Dr. Cavill's behind it. And, and as you mentioned, A.D. Drew and, and Michael Coker and all these other good folks that, that really love, love HBCU baseball. I didn't know just the love and the interest that it had. You know, I, I thought I was just one of the few that really followed HBCU baseball until until I found out that I wasn't. And it's really impressive to see these guys behind the scenes cover the HBCU baseball, the stories that you see posted online, just a lot of good stuff from a lot of good people. So I'm, I'm really impressed with the title sponsor, and I know it will grow and develop. And I, I look forward, I hope I have a chance to go next, uh, this this year coming up. But uh, I, 
I'm just impressed. I am as well. So hats off to everyone involved. Uh, look forward to now. Only thing you need now is some exciting baseball on the diamond, and I'm sure you'll get that as well. Dr. Cavill, I have you on because if I know, if I don't know anything or I'm not versed in it, I know to connect to the right people. With that being said, um, SWAC bylaws, as far as the conference has a process for, and the way I word it, uh, media contracts, broadcast digital, and content. Could you explain how that process worked, you know, as far as with the bylaws with the Southwestern Athletic Conference? Well, um, I'm going to start out with, you know, the bylaw 3.9 uh, in terms of conference revenue and just give a framework, uh, essentially what that talks about. And it's important to level set. When we talk about television, television encompasses all types. And mm -hmm. there are various ways that you can get it, which includes now streaming television. Right. And some people like to see it differently, but it's still a vehicle, a medium of how you see uh, visual entertainment, and in this case, sporting contests. So those are really the same thing. So any 3.9 conference revenues, just to kind of level set a little bit, states in the first paragraph, any conference member participates in a national, regional, sectional bowl game and or television contest or meet, whether during the regular preseason or postseason, will share its part of the television revenue with the conference office, or other members in a conference. So even if you do this and you have your own revenue that's associated with you, it goes to the conference office. The participating conference institutions will retain 60% of the gross of the forward, the balance of the 40% to the conference office for inclusion in the conference treasury. That's so it's a suppository. And actually the conference is a vehicle that redistributes this money in some type of format. And what's important for me to say is that this is not just unique to the Southwestern Athletic Conference. This goes across the board to every conference. In some fashion, it's even true for the professional ranks, NFL, NBA, um, Major League Baseball. In fact, you just heard um, this concern with the Washington football team, commanders as they call themselves now, about some disturbing news where money that was going from the gate was actually uh, distorted in terms of the revenue because it wasn't distributed back to the uh, conference. I mean, to the NFL uh, in this case, right? The association of league so they can redistribute that. Well, well, that same thing happens in the sec. They split it evenly happens in the big uh, 10 where they have the conference take all this revenue and then they split it amongst the members. Um, there's only one conference out there at the Power Five level that I have heard of that actually does it differently uh, where you're familiar with, which is the Big 12. And they have it set up where certain members at the time, it was Texas A&M, Texas and Oklahoma that had the ability to have more of the television rights because they argued in their meeting that they were the rash reason that the rights were so high. And everybody, they threatened to leave. So um, conference members says, thought it was better to give them more of the television revenue than have them leave and maybe they have less. 
So that's one of the reasons that you heard from many people about Texas A&M, besides the Longhorn Network they ultimately were able to get, they went to the SEC because they had revenue sharing. It's ultimately, in a lot of ways, finally why Texas and Oklahoma in this last conference tourney have decided to leave. Well, let's level set and go back to the SWAC, and then we'll get into some follow-up questions if you have it. Uh, essentially, there are various types of rights that people need to consider. There are what you call exclusionary rights, and that's where a company buys all the inventory that a conference has. And when we're talking about inventory, usually it's pretty straightforward with people to see that, that those are conference games. But in all reality, it's really all games that are home games that would go under the umbrella of the conference if the conference said wanted to do that. Now, oftentimes these conferences give these rights back, but it's important to know just because they give the rights back and you've been doing things, it doesn't mean that the bylaws doesn't suggest that the conference actually owns all these rights. And they have mm. the ability with the presidents and chancellors that signed off on it to enter in a contract, which we know as ESPN in this case, rights back. You can have folks that argue and say, all right, um, from a commissioner's perspective, you would, that they go to ESPN and try to get some of these rights back. And that would be probably the case if Charles is making an argument that he's going to seek secondary rights. That means to some degree ESPN is probably likely giving some of those rights back. Not sure about this, just the hypothesis in terms of what this looks like in general. Let me level set this the last time and make sure people are clear about this from this perspective. People are very familiar with the SEC, and that's why I kind of reference it. People will remember that uh, for a while, until ESPN just recently bought everything, that CBS had the game of the week on Saturday. That right. would be what you call primary rights. CBS negotiated with the conference office of the SEC and asked for the primary rights, meaning they would have first rights to a game they would select, they would air on CBS. Then you have what you call secondary rights if you break the rights up in this manner. And on the secondary rights, ESPN rushed in there and said, yes, we want your secondary rights, and we want a package where we can have two or three games to select from. And that's why they ever put a game on ESPN, ESPN2, ESPNU, or maybe even flip it to ABC. That's your secondary rights. Then you have what you call even your tertiary rights. And you could further break down if you had more rights. You could find a way to break it down infinitely if you want. But they had tertiary rights. And for the longest, folks that are familiar with uh, SEC, they probably remember things of Raycom, where you would get games mm -hmm. on Saturday. That's essentially yeah. where the independent institution was going out for, say, LSU or Florida, Mississippi State, Mississippi, why have you all that – reside in those areas are familiar with those institutions, they could go out and shop their tertiary rights, meaning after CBS got theirs, after mm -hmm. ESPN got theirs, whatever was left, if they had a home game and they weren't selected, they could shop that to the third-party markets out there, Raycom, and put that on television. Well, the SEC realized that if we put all these rights together, we can get a bigger deal. And ESPN was saying, hey, man, a lot of people, we're interested in what you got. So they closed all those contracts, bought some rights, let some, you know, 
functionally go out in terms of the end of their contract. They came back and got all their tertiary rights from their member institutions. Member institutions gave it back from the presidents and the chancellors of those institutions and gave the previous commissioner uh, and Sankey knows about this now and he's going to do that with Texas and OU joining the conference. They went to ESPN and they were able to strike a deal with ESPN where ESPN bought um, like 49% of the rights or 50 some percent, 51% in that range of the rights. And then the uh, conference uh, created another vehicle where they bought the rest of the rights. So you see these splits. Big Ten did something similar where they have, you know, a company Fox and ESPN split some of the rights. Fox has most of them. Um, and that's kind of what you look at when you talk about television, broadcast, media rights, um, and those type of things. Now, Dr. Kavir, there are uh, some institutions that, um, it, it, and I kind of look at different things that they have, as you explained, it, they have their own deals. So if I'm getting this straight, but the conference bylaws and rules, super, does it supersede individual institutions' rights? Because I see there's a controversy between you know certain institutions as far as do they have the right to have what they're trying to put onto their, their alums and, and their fans. Great question. And once a member institution decided to join the SWAC, the bylaws, um, this is not anything that to really argue about. The bylaws makes it real simple. The conference office earns, owns the right to athletic competition. Now, let's say an institution wants to air a step show on campus. That's not a athletic competition. They have so the right to do that, and they can sell it in any medium they want to. Uh, but literally, um, theoretically, any athletic competition uh, in terms of practice, spring games, all those are governed because the NCAA governs those rules. And by definition, the Southwestern Athletic Conference governs those rules. So theoretically, all those fall under the governing rights of the Southwestern Athletic Conference. Now, it's important to note, just because that happens doesn't mean that the conference hadn't decided to give those rights back. That may be in question, but it's without a doubt the question that the conference owns all these rights. Now, we need to be very specific when we talk about athletic contests. There's a lot of things on campuses, the bands and those things, that are not designated as athletic conferences. Now, What's unique about that, at Texas Southern University, for example, the vice president of athletics, Kevin Granger, soon to be Dr. Kevin Granger as he's finishing up on his dissertation work. Um, That's just a push for Texas Southern University on doctoral programs. You know, I tried to slide that in. I understand. Uh, (laughs) understand. (laughs) You know, always, always working. But on seriousness, at that institution, the current president in the board has moved that the band's cheerleaders go under the umbrella of uh, Kevin Granger in terms of managing that process. But even though that's Mm -hmm. the framework at Texas Southern University, that's not the same at all other 11 Southwestern Athletic Conference members. And the bylaws doesn't suggest that the bands fall under that. 
I say all that to say <clears throat> that a band um, battle, if you would, battle of the bands uh, would be separate uh, from the Southwestern Conference. And you could go out there, and if you have those rights, you could shop those rights. And you know what? That is a big event. The Battle of the Bands, a nation, nationwide. And, and I want to say, and I'm sure someone's going to correct me. I remember there was a fuss at Southern University, and I say fuss, but um, the band was under one department, and then I want to say it was moved under the athletic department. And I remember it being a big, uh, interesting conversation of, uh, uh, about that. Well, Doctor Cavill, finally. Before you say that, and I want to break that down because that's a real good point, and then I'll let you ask that question, is a, a lot of reasons why you ha- kind of have this back and forth between uh, bands um, on a university campus because bands are uniquely different than athletics at this period of time, and I'm kind of pushing that athletics should have an academic spirit to it. And you, to some degree, you kind of see it maybe with uh, sport management or even kinesiology if you want, but bands, you know, you have music majors that are in the mm-hmm. band, but music majors, if you would usually follow under some like college of liberal arts and behavioral science, like they do at Texas Southern university, where the academic degree plans, uh, the Dean, the department chair fall under that, but the marching band is extracurricular activity. So at, oftentimes it will follow up of uh, will be under the student affairs, the student services component of the university as an extra activity in Texas Southern, they just shifted it from student affairs to athletics. And so you're right. It's very unique in the way that it operates at a university. We're visiting with Dr. Kenyatta Cavill, CEO, host, co-host, it's at HBCU uh, Sports Lab. Um, Dr. Cavill, Michael Jones says, X Doc does ESPN own the media content of the SWAT games they stream? What about the media content? Ask that again. X Doctor does ESPN own the media content of the SWAT games they stream? Yes. Yes. Uh, with the exclusionary deal that the presidents and chancellors previously signed under the previous commissioner, and I don't believe that that contract goes up in the next three or four years, um, all the media television rights associated with athletics uh, contests are under the governance of the Southwestern Athletic Conference, and the presidents and chancellors agreed to a contractual agreement with ESPN to provide those rights to ESPN. So ESPN currently owns those rights. Charles, you you said before the show started, or doing a break, that you haven't seen anything like this before as far as, you know, the content and, you know, different uh, deals on the table, NIL. Hell, when I first started doing sports talk radio, Social media wasn't a part of uh, of sports talk. So all that to say everything is ever-changing. Where do you see all of this going? Then I'm, I'm going to ask Dr. Cavill about this as well. Will we all um, 
come together in good spirit about all of this? I think we will. Um, I think we will in time. I, and I, I, what I've referenced to the conversation that we had is I never would think that there are lawsuits out there that are pertaining to the rights of SWAC sports and who does what. I never thought I would see the day that that would happen where you're actually fighting and battling and grappling over this. Um, and it, it, I guess in a way it's a good thing because obviously the, uh, the SWAC is moving on up as, as, as I would like to put it. Um, but I think Doc has helped me, helped inform me on a lot of stuff when it comes to the overall product of the SWAC and who owns what. So Doc, if I'm, if I'm understanding this correctly, to solve all of this, there needs to be probably communication between ESPN and the SWAC in terms of what ESPN wants and what they don't want. So the games of the week in football, all Corn Jackson State, Southern Jackson, whatever games that ESPN wants that they want to pick up, they have that. But then you have other games that they don't. It could change, but typically the schedules for TV are out early. So those other, those other inventory games, and even basketball, baseball, softball, it sounds to me like those games are up for grabs and there's not, I wouldn't say no accountability, but since they're not on those platforms, it's like, well, why not? Maybe the Black College Sports Network could pick up some of these softball and baseball games. And there's a hole there somewhere. So, so is that, am I looking at that correctly? Not the games that have been identified by ESPN, but these other games that are not, that that only picked up by the school's uh, own local production and streaming. Am I looking at that properly? Yes, you are looking at that properly, but there's one unique thing that this, this is governed by the contracts. And if you remembered what I talked about is there's different types of ways that you can set up a contract over media rights. Um, and you can negotiate a contract with exclusionary rights. That word is extremely important because if you sign a contract with exclusionary rights, it means that company that you sign those exclusionary rights has That's essentially all. got all your rights, right? Mm -hmm. And in some cases, what you've seen companies do, they take all your rights and they shelve them so there won't be competition to drive up the price. You know, this is capitalism Whoa. in the marketplace. So if, if you are not on your game when you first sign a contract and you sign up to say, hey, we're going to give and we're going to separate our medium rights. So what are you interested in? Are you interested in the primary rights? Right? Which would be different than mm -hmm. if you sign a contract that says exclusionary rights. Exclusionary rights means I got it all. I can choose to yep. sell them. I can choose to resell them. I can take your other rights. And now that I own them, I could resell these the rights that I own now as that property um, and sell them to another one. Now, there's usually language in the contract to say um, whether what type of entity I can sell them to or if I can resell them. That can be in the contract as well. So it's really important to understand the nuances of the contract. So you can't move in to say that we want to do what we want with the secondary rights if the company you originally work with has all your exclusionary rights. 
Now, you can always try to go back to the table in a good faith effort and saying, hey, you're not using these rights. Can we look at some conditions where we can have some of these rights back? And apparently ESPN has said, yes, you can do that from the standpoint that you can have your own campus uh, framing of these games so you can put them on YouTube or you can put them on Facebook and show them live. We're okay with that. But we do not want you all to enter into another national deal, if you would. So those would be mm. considered more regional in nature. Uh, what you've seen AT&T at Texas Southern. At one time, Southern University had a regional deal, right? Pelican Sports or yep. whatever. Those were regional yep, local sports. deals, uh, which in a lot of ways is not a direct competition to, to a national brain. And so that's where it gets complicated, if you would, is the letter of the contract goes a long way in dictating what you can do. Now, it's also the framework that you have to consider just because we have been doing something doesn't mean that we were doing it because we could. We may have been doing it just because an organization that owns those events has just not uh, pushed back. So that's also one thing that we need to consider that sometimes we get ourselves in, well, we've been doing this. Uh, but yeah, that may be the case, but that doesn't mean that you were doing something that was right in terms of the framing of the contract that was signed. And now that everything is becoming heightened and there's more interest, obviously, right? Mm-hmm. It becomes more of that company from the national standpoint to be like, hey, um, there's a lot going on. Let's sit down on the table. Uh, we have some concerns about what's taking place. And that's a lot of times where you need a strong commissioner that's able to kind of negotiate the space and let everybody know, presidents, chancellors, ADs, SIDs, VPs of athletics, if you would, as well as the president or whoever's responsible for that organization about what are the guidelines in terms of where we can go in operating under the contractual rights that exist. The last thing I would say is important, though, while we're talking about um, media rights, broadcast rights, television rights, that uh, all important. And in some cases, you even have radio rights, which most of the time people talk about in terms of multimedia function is everything is encompassed in that, is that if you carefully read the statements of what there may be lawsuits about, it's not actually questioning who has contractual rights in terms of these media rights. That's not at least what was said out there. What was actually at question was uh, one party was talking about another party was in torturous interference. They were interfering with somebody's ability Mm. to negotiate a deal, right? And the other lawsuit that was going back was saying uh, that you do not even have the rights to uh, work with individuals to say that you are partnering with us. We have not signed any agreement that would give you the rights to go negotiate on our behalf. That's what is actually stated into those arguments. That didn't have anything to do with streaming rights. We hadn't even got to that yet in terms of what is on the paper for potential lawsuits. It's about who has the rights uh, to talk to an organization on behalf of another organization. Well, on that note, Dr. Cavill, can we get you to come back next next week and, and probably the next week? I, I look at it as a three-part series. <laughs> sure. Because I've gotten my mental notes, but I, I think I'm understanding pretty well. And I would just end this by saying, you know, months ago I said I knew it's a new day. 
different situations gonna occur. NIL, broadcast right, media rights, arguing over content. Be right and follow the process. I know it's a cutting edge time where I want, and I'm just saying it this way, I want to be the first to have an NIL deal. I want to be the first institution to do this, do that. All I'm saying is I understand that, but just be right sometimes instead of being the first. And that's what I always go back on. And um, hey, we'll enjoy the competition. We are HBCUs, we are in the conference. And let's just always remember that. We've got to be like this, a fist, together. We're separate, but then together. Closing statement on this segment, Dr. Cavill. I just think uh, the cultural empowerment of our HBCUs operating collaboratively is in the best interest of the each institution individually. The better that we understand, you know, cultural empowerment, collective empowerment, the more we can get things done um, as a group. And we see the challenges if we just look up the road in the Eastern Athletic Conference when that uh, stretches where you get more individual uh, framing of an institution and how much challenge it can be in terms of the collective empowerment of HBCUs and therefore the conferences. So I think this is extremely important. I think we have great presidents and chancellors, uh, as well as a commissioner and ADs, VPs that are on the same page. And eventually this will work out for the benefit of the conference. And what happened is you having a lot of outside influences that are understanding the value of the Southwestern Athletic Conference. And we as a collective need to understand that value and make sure that we maximize it for the benefit of our institutions and therefore our students as well. Great point, Dr. Cavill. And uh, by the way, give a message to Prairie View and them baseball. I bow down in the regular season, the sweet G Boom Hollis watching. I, I love that sending that 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 broom. I remember that, but hey, Prairie View, give credit to them, Dr. Cavill. In the regular season, in the last two years, they have Southern's number in baseball. <laughs> you got to give credit where credit is due. <laughs> it, it's about time that this rivalry comes back to where it was just uh, a couple short years ago. So it's good to see it. Uh, Texas uh, Southern has been in the mix. Prairie View in that Southern now back to where it was. Southern, obviously, historical baseball program. So anytime that you have a chance to make a statement against Southern, even though it's just the first half of the season, uh, it is a statement that a program like Prairie View that is back and up and coming, it seems, to be able to make it. So thank you for the uh, compliment there. I'll wear it well. I like the brooms as myself. Yes, sir. Your ad could be ran here. Oh, we back. Well, I have my eye on Prairie View and I give them credit, the baseball program, and uh, continue sets and uh, see them in Lehigh's Field later on. But Dr. Camille, have a great rest of your weekend. Appreciate it. Next week, segment two, part Take care. two, Thank shall you. I say. All right. That was Dr. Kenyatta Camille of Inside HBCU Sports Lab. We'll take a quick timeout. When I come back, it'll be more of the Coles Brown Show right here on the Black College Sports Network.
Your ad could be ran here. MyJBN.com backslash support. MyJBN.com backslash support for more information. The top HBCU programs in the nation come to Montgomery, Alabama's Riverwalk Stadium this May 11th through 14th for the Black College World Series. The best black college baseball teams in the NCAA Division II and the NAIA will battle for black baseball's ultimate prize. Games will be streamed live at www.mybcsn.net. Tickets are available now online at www.blackcollegechampionships.com. For 200 years, Montgomery, Alabama has been making history by people who had the courage to stand up for change. Today, this riverfront city has been reborn, embracing the past and looking forward to the future. From the National Memorial for Peace and Justice to the stage of the Alabama Shakespeare Festival, this is where history was and is made. We are proud to call Montgomery home, and together, we can be the change. Supermarket sushi, really? No. Wait, Troy, you work here? I'm never not working. Like head and shoulder scalp shield technology, up to 100% dandruff protection, even between washes. Never not working, huh? Oh, Troy, you're such a good teacher. Yeah, I know. <laughs> never not working. Never not working. Never ever not working. Are you serious? Never not working. Dandruff protection that's never not working. Head and shoulder scalp shield technology. There's a shot. shot so it might be. It could be. Right field. Grim slam. What a shot. That's how you get hot, young fella. Thank you guys for what you do for HBC This is a fantastic avenue for, for, for all of us. This is our ESPN, so we, 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 we love what you guys do and all you guys at BCSN. We really appreciate what it is that you guys, you guys do for us. Your ad could be ran here. MyJBN.com backslash support. MyJBN.com backslash support for more information. The top HBCU programs in the nation come to Montgomery, Alabama's Riverwalk Stadium this May 11th through 14th for the Black College World Series. The best black college baseball teams in the NCAA Division II and the NAIA will battle for black baseball's ultimate prize. Games will be streamed live at www.mybcsn.net. Tickets are available now online at www.blackcollegechampionships.com. For 200 years, Montgomery, Alabama has been making history by people who had the courage to stand up for change. Today, this riverfront city has been reborn, embracing the past and looking forward to the future. From the National Memorial for Peace and Justice to the stage of the Alabama Shakespeare Festival, this is where history was and is made. We are proud to call Montgomery home, and together, we can be the change. 
Supermarket sushi, really? No. Wait, troll. I can hear you. I'm never not working. Like head yeah, can you hear me? Technology, up to 100% dandruff protection, even between washes. Never not working, huh? Oh, Troy, you're such a good teacher. Yeah, I know. <laughs> never not working. Never not working. Never ever not working. Are you serious? Never not working. Standard protection that's never not working. Head and shoulder scalp shield technology. There's a shot. That way. might be. It could be. It could be. Right field. Grand slam. What a shot. That's how you get hot, young fella. Thank you guys for what you do for HBCU fantastic avenue for, for for all of us this is our espn so we we we, we love what you guys do and all you guys at bcsn we really appreciate what it is that you got you guys do for us your ad could be ran here myjbn.com backslash support myjbn.com backslash support for more information The top HBCU programs in the nation come to Montgomery, Alabama's Riverwalk Stadium this May 11th through 14th for the Black College World Series. The best Black College baseball teams in the NCAA Division II and the NAIA will battle for Black Baseball's ultimate pride. Games will be streamed live at www.mybcsn.net. Tickets are available now online at www.blackcollegechampionships.com. For 200 years, Montgomery, Alabama has been making history by people who had the courage to stand up for change. Today, this riverfront city has been reborn, embracing the past and looking forward to the future. From the National Memorial for Peace and Justice to the stage of the Alabama Shakespeare Festival, this is where history was and is made. We are proud to call Montgomery home, and together, we can be the change. Supermarket sushi, really? This week's edition of the Coles Brown Show right here on the Black College Sports Network. Now joined by Larry Harold Jr. Let me tell you a little bit about him as far as Southern University. A former offensive lineman played at Southern University. Now coaching in, I do believe, the Atlanta, Georgia area. Good afternoon, Larry. How you doing, sir? How you doing, Mr. Carlos? I'm doing fine. Glad to get you on. Last week, we kind of had to make an adjustment, but hey, we got you on now. Um, right. Pleasure to see you. It has been a long time. Very long time. I apologize last week 
Uh, I had just got named as the head coach the day before. You know, I had a bunch of interviews and everything, and I I passed out. And I totally missed it. I apologize, but uh, glad you let me back on this week. Oh, no, no apologies. You don't have to. I, trust me, I understand. In this uh, life, we have things that come up. Um, shortly, uh, as we see the footage here, this is from the 1999 SWAC football championship. Of course, Larry, you did play in this ball game, correct? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I was uh, uh, starting. I started uh, pretty much that whole season when our senior tackle uh, Kendrick went down. I forgot Kendrick's last name, but uh, he came back and we uh, rotated. But uh, that was a spectacular game and uh, a lot of highlights, and it, it was it was huge. It was huge. Very much so. Michael Hayes there on the reception. It was actually a free play. Jackson State jumped yeah. offside, and Terrence Levy, God rest his soul, is no longer with us. But, boy, Michael Hayes, offensive line, uh, Larry, it was just an exciting ball game, and, and I, like many, were in attendance of this ball game. Kind of talk about that that whole day, and then we'll kind of go into the season leading up to this ball game. As we see Michael Hayes on uh, on just another tremendous individual <laughs> individual hey. play, but talk about that that game day and that experience. Uh, so I think it was the first annual SWAC championship, and we played it yes, right sir. there in Lee Field. Man, it was exciting. Oh my God, you see the stands was packed and. Uh, we were pretty good that year. Uh, kind of, uh, to me, the, the game of the year was the game before this, the Bayou Classic. As you recall, we were down 21, and uh, Troy Williams got hurt, and Levy stepped in, and I uh, had to play this championship game, man. And that last play, you saw Devin Lewis from New Orleans uh, caught the game with a touchdown. I remember uh, Joe Taylor said, touchdown. Southern University, like <laughs> it really, t- it was like really depressed. I'll never forget it watching that replay. And then he came back on and said, Well, they say SWAC stands for Southern wins another championship, and it it really ticks some people off. But that Jackson State, we played Jackson State earlier that year. I know you want to talk about it later on, but you know, it was about 70,000 fans, so it was the gold rush game because Jack State said that we had, they had more fans than us, so all their fans wore blue and all our fans wore. Gold, and I remember jogging out. It was there. You know, that's a big old that, that's a big old stadium they have. And I got my head down, focused, and I hear a roaring crowd. And I look up, and it's over a quarter, half of the, of the field with gold jerseys. Like man, Southern sold out. But there's nothing like Jaguar Nation. I mean, we know the nation travels huge. Uh, doing the uh, Jag walk before the game. From from uh, FG Clark Center, of course they don't have to do that no more. They got the beautiful new facility, but we used to like walking through those uh, things and you know pitching some barbecue off the off the trailers and stuff like that. I mean, you talking about some great times and great experience, man. Um, like I told Southern University, just being in Louisiana General changed my life, man. Really brought me into the man who I am today. Yes, sir. Visiting with Larry Harrell Jr. here on the Coles Brown Show. So as far as your your career, what were the years that you played at, at Southern University? So I was there ninety seven to two thousand one. Of course, I registered in my freshman year, but we ninety seven, um, ninety six. They lost the championship, so we came in ninety seven. 
and uh, we won the national championship. Uh, then we won the SWAC championship in 98. Uh, Sam George was the quarterback. And, of course, Levy and Troy Williams were the quarterbacks in 99. So we were the 3P, and we end up in 3P on my ring. It says uh, team, we was a team, voted the team of the decade. Yes, sir. Team of the decade. And, and guess so, what? And guess what, uh, the audience, 97, 98, 99, didn't lose a conference game. And I think the no. previous record, I I, I, I want to say, what's it, Jackson State or Grambling? Grambling and Jackson State also had some tremendous conference game winning streaks. But 97, 98, and, and 99, that, you know, that's a terrific feat. And I don't know if we'll ever yeah, see that again. I think it was 28. Coach Long told me that day it was 28. No, it's on the side of one of my rings, but yeah, I think we were 28. Mm-hmm. No, in three years in, in conference. So, man, Coach Richardson can't say enough about him. Um, you know, I, I I went to high school in Mobile. I went to a basketball school, and so we didn't win a lot in football. And so, me coming there, Coach taught me how to win. You know how to lift. And the thing I tell people is because they came off losing that uh, Heritage Bowl. We came in, the coaches didn't have to get a hold of us. The players, man, were on us about going to class, how to practice, lifting weights, uh, just how to do things the right way, how to be a winner. And so as a coach, I took that and I would try to tell my team, the best teams are going to be player-led and not coach-led because it means more when your peers get on to you. So, you know, I tell people all the time, I mean, a lot of guys are young, they don't like taking showers in front of each other. And, uh, We'll be trying to leave practice. Like, where y'all going? Like, we're going to take a shower. They're like, no, you're not. You're going to get a shower right here. Like, that's how particular those guys were on us, man. So that's what led to that whole three-year run of championships, uh, you know, with those player-led teams. And uh, that's what Coach Richard is still still in us, as well as the rest of the coaches. Larry, I've talked to former athletes, players, other coaches. You just mentioned Coach Richardson. You know, still in the Baton Rouge area, involved now back with uh, Southern University Athletics. How how was it playing for Coach Richardson? Talk about. I know he's a great coach, but but the man himself and and coming uh, to Southern University and, and and your first time meeting Coach Richardson. It, it's crazy, Carly, because you don't really when you're going through something like that. It's just an everyday interaction. You know what I'm saying? I can truly say I didn't have a father, so he was kind of really like a father mm-hmm. figure to me. And whatever he says, it was gold. You know what I'm saying? Like, it was like, mm-hmm. okay, Coach Richard said this, so I guess it's that way. Like, it was no question him. It was no, you know, you did what he told you to do. I just thought he was tough on us, but he was fair. Um, you know, I remember meeting on my recruit trip, Houston Markham at uh at Tuskegee going to his office it was dark and I was terrified of that man. You know, he's talking about three <laughs> days and something like that. I'm like, oh my God, I can't go here. But you know what I meant, Coach Rich, he was upbeat, he was positive. He really sold my mom on a program. And I mean he was just high energetic. He had a plan and he said we want to have you and I and I you know I wanted to sign up. Uh, I think the other thing that happened was uh Lawrence Hart, big big tight end, big tight. Lawrence Hart was my uh, was my host. He took me and showed me some some his girlfriend and some other stuff, and I felt low Louisiana with him. Well, that's what got me. So uh, between that, look, <laughs> I said, "Where where did I sign up at, baby? Where I signed me up?" Yeah. 
yes, sir. Southern University, the South, Louisiana. I get what you what you're saying. Now, last week we talked, and um, I'm always interested, of course, the the, the Jackson State and, and and the Grambling State uh, football game because I've said, Larry, Grambling is more like family. And so the rivalry is not as intense, but Jackson State, that's a whole different story. Can you share, and I know there's probably many memories, but can you share uh, a Southern Jackson State football game that kind of sticks out to you? So so I want to add another one in there. So like you said, we're like cousins, Gremlin and us, but we're going to dap each other up after the Bayou Classic. Jackson State is, I guess, would be like the next door neighbor. Y'all gonna fight, but then y'all get back together. <laughs> the one that I couldn't stand, Carlos, was them dogs uh -oh. on people down in Tallahassee. Them dog on rattlers. Um, oh, that's yeah. That's one of my boys, man. That's you know, Coach Richard said it, Coach Billy Joe at the time, and I don't know if I should even say that. They wouldn't even trade film. That's how bad the rivalry is. So we we broke them down. We had to watch the TV copy. They wouldn't trade film. I remember uh, Bragg Memorial had that small stadium. It was so small, we had to dress on the outside of it. They stopped letting mm -hmm. the uh, tailgaters down there and things like that. So that was just, uh, I don't, and I didn't beat them until my senior year, 2001. We finally beat them at the, at the five tries. But saying all that, uh, you know, again, that Grambling game, 99, we're down at halftime, down 21. You know, Troy Williams tears his hip out of socket. But we came in, Levy scored right away, right before halftime. And uh, I remember going in there, Coach Duty, the new head coach of Southern, was the wide receiver coach. And he was like, it's Skelly time now, guys. So Skelly just a passing drill. So basically, you tell we he's going to be a passing drill. And what I remember most, Carlos, is they were high-fiving and all this other stuff and chest bumping. But that second half, it flipped to the point where we tied that game up. It got so loud in the dome. That nobody could hear, you couldn't hear this. The Superdome was so loud, you couldn't hear the person next to you. And I think Lionel Brown was trying to make an audible, and the ball got snapped over his shoulder. And Nate Bell picked it up, and the place went bananas. You couldn't even hear it. And, um, you know, we scored the next play. Mike Hayes fade to the corner, and we went on to win. The other game I remember is that Jack State game again, not just the championship game. But that doggone champ, we played them twice that year. People don't know this, mm -hmm. but Jack State had three D1, I'm sorry, three NFL draft picks. Sylvester Morris, yeah. uh, Rashad Anderson is a big tack, mm -hmm. big defensive end. So they were really we beat them twice that year. The year we beat them in there when they had 70,000 fans at Memorial Stadium, Demarcus Boo Boo Miller, the new defensive line coach, had like, I think maybe five sacks. I mean, he went crazy and they could not move the ball. And we, uh, they got some turnovers. It was a close game, but just those two battles, man. And so, what coaches would always tell us, and I, I should say this, but hey, man, if you play them close, they give you the game at the end. And sure enough, every time, man, <laughs> that's what Rich was about being disciplined all the way through. He said, hey, man, they'll give us, they'll give you the game. So, that was our model, man. We just played stuck with them close. They had talent. We just feel like you kept it close. They was going to do something to, in the end to, you know, mess it up, and then we would be able to capitalize. So that was – Coach Rich was big on discipline, fundamentals, and that's what 
I carry over to my coaching days now is discipline and fundamentals of carrying you through, man, all the time. That's what he used to always tell us. Visit with Larry Harold Jr. here on the Colos Brown Show. And that kind of leads me into now. You finished your career, your culture. Talk about your your family. Um, and actually, I'll be honest, we kind of connected through Twitter on social media. So I saw the picture yeah. of a beautiful, beautiful family. Talk about that and then, you know, coaching now. So I married uh, Danielle Harold. We married 13 years. I got four kids, three boys and one girl. Ages 11, 10, 7, and 5. Uh, we moved here in Georgia in 2010. But prior to that, as soon as I graduated, I got with all Southernites. So I got with Troy Jones, Richard Oliver, Tommy Holiday, uh, and they took me under. They hired me at Struma High School. And if y'all remember in the early 2000s, we changed that program around completely. So it was a perennial top five program in Louisiana every year. But the brothers, even though we played in different eras, because we all played under Coach Richardson and other coaches, it was a seamless transition. You know what I'm saying? The only thing that changed was terminology and obviously why they still running 21 person. That I was like, hey, man, Coach Orlando running spread now, but we got to put that ball in the air. So that's what we did. So they took me under their wings. And then my wife didn't really like Louisiana. It's too far south. She was from D.C. Wanted to get back closer to the East Coast. And once I moved away from uh, Coach Oliver and them, uh, Coach Jones brought me up here to Georgia, and uh, I became a head coach for the first time. First African-American head coach at a school called Mickey County High School. Um, I went on, that was my first job, turned that program around from 0-10 to end up winning the championship. And then in uh, 2014, I coached a guy by the name of Roquan Smith. You may or may not know him, but he played for the Chicago Bears. So he leaves a little town, goes to UGA, ends up winning the Buckets Award, and 2017 goes to the Road Bowl, blows up, and he has me at the NFL draft in 2018 when it was in Dallas. And so that's one of the highlights of my coaching career as well. So we've been able to help a lot of kids get to college, develop a lot of guys, send a lot of guys come back, become good men, fathers, and role models is what we pride ourselves on, man. But I got all everything I learned from Coach Richardson, Coach Dooley, Coach Graves. I see you have him later on. All those Coach Vite, all those old guys, Coach Long. We've taken those models and transport them here to Georgia, the high school, and put the same formula. It still works to this day. Larry, now Coach Dooley, now back at Southern. When I say back now as a head coach, and, and I like what he has done, not to say other coaches haven't, but reaching out to former players, and and that's just a great thing. They had an event couple of Friday uh, nights ago. How important it is for Southern University, and, and I guess you approve of the hire, but having Coach Dula back, and he, he's connecting with uh, a lot of former players who did win, no doubt about it, under Coach, Coach Richardson. I think AD, Coach Roman Banks, did a great job uh, with that transition. Um, he's been doing a great job and getting everything turned around. I like what he's done. But when you bring Coach Dooley back home, that's you saw Coach Richardson at the press conference because that was that was his protege, that was his guy. You know, Dooley used to drive away from New Orleans every day to Baton Rouge, never missed a practice, never was late, always on time. And you know, he was just that guy, man. That you know, he helped build that thing up. You talking about three championships? I know that 2003 team 
but Quincy Richard when he broke out those records. You know, he built those receivers, man. And so he's a great coach, and he went on to be a great office coordinator, you know, turned Prairie View around. I think they won a championship at UA at Pine Bluff, if I'm not correct, him and Coach Nivens. And then the co- every coach he hired is from Southern. So they know that tradition. They're going to be able to tell a guy, hey, man, we got the S on that chip. We got to get back. I know Coach Prime is in the swag, and uh, Coach Willie Simmons, and all these guys do a good job. We Southern University, though, man. I don't, I don't mean to be like that. We sub the S on that chest B something. We got to get back to the winning ways. And so that's what I think Coach Billy going to bring, man. By bringing us back, it'll hopefully change that mindset to the guys. They'll know, you know, who they are. And the thing I was proud of, you know, we lost. You know, we should have won that Jack State game. You know what I'm saying? And so they didn't lay down. The one thing about those guys from Louisiana, we're going to fight. So uh, I just think Coach Billy going to give them that extra umph to take it over the top. And, uh, you know, Coach Nivens is my guy. Played with him. We coached together at a Stroma. You know, Boo Boo, uh, sorry, Demarcus Miller, Coach uh, uh, Graves, you know what I'm saying? Um, then the DB coach, uh, the great, I used to hear about him all the time that's there now, Sean Wallace. Oh, God. Wallace. I heard so many stories about him and how great he was. So, man, I'm, I'm excited, man. <laughs> I am So you can tell I, I'm I'm excited about Coach Dooley. That's my guy, man. That's my guy. Well, I enjoyed a visit with you. I appreciate the time. You have a great family, a great career, and yes, it was a pleasure to have you on. We'll we'll talk to you uh, again, and we hope we'll do it real soon. But I appreciate it. Kind of have this segment now. Where are they now? And, and I really enjoyed having you on today's show. Continue success and good fortunes, yes, and tell your beautiful wife and your kids. I said hello and look forward to maybe meeting them one day and then seeing you you again. Appreciate the time, we man. We're going to get on the bluff, man. So good luck. Great show. And uh, we'll, we'll continue to listen in. Go Jags. All right. Thank you. Go Jags. Yes, that was Larry Harry, Harold Jr., former offensive lineman at Southern University. Going to take a timeout. When I come back, I'll visit with Coach Van Petaway. Now, here's a guy that knows his basketball. Well, you know why? Former coach at Alabama and him. He joins me next. You're watching the Carlos Brown Show on the Black College Sports Network. This is the BCSN Pod Zone, your place for the news, views, and conversations about all things related to HBCU athletics. Here are the BCSN Sports Wrap, Dr. Cavill's Inside the HBCU Sports Lab, Knights of the Roundtable, The Pregame Show, The Carlos Brown Show, The ONG Strike Zone, and more in one place. We are changing the way you consume HBCU sports one broadcast at a time.
Can I get the now bar, please? One dollar. Have a good one. Got it. Hey, what's going on? Hey. Let me get a now bar. Sure. One dollar. Appreciate you. Got it. The Black College Baseball Championship Series is back. The Black College World Series return May 11th through 15th to a place where so much black history has been made. Montgomery, Alabama to the home of the Montgomery Biscuits. That's right. Riverwalk Stadium in downtown Montgomery, Alabama. The cries have been heard. Black College Championships LLC is here to answer the call. No longer will the poll determine our champion as the top baseball team from NCAA Division II and NAIA meet on the field for Black College Baseball Supremacy. week's edition of the Carlos Brown Show right here on the Black College Sports Network. Now joined by Coach Penaway. Coach Penaway, good afternoon, sir. Hey, good afternoon, Carlos. How are you doing today? I'm doing fine. Also joined by A.D. Drew. A.D., good afternoon to you as well. Mic check one, two. Mic check one, two. Mic check one, two. Check one, two. You good? You All good? Right. <laughs> <laughs> AD is in the house. Hey, sir. Yes, sir. What's going on, Coach? I'm hanging in there, man. How about you today? Hey, I'm doing all right. And you, you, you probably don't even remember this, but uh, I remember coming up playing uh, y'all guys up at Alabama A&M when I was on staff with Andre Wagner. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, y'all, yep. y'all used to put some butt, some butt whoopers on us up there. Y'all used to teach y'all along <laughs> like that because he was coaching at another university. You ain't right for that, yep. coach. I just want you to know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, we had to do what we had to do, man. That, that's the way we played it back then. Yeah, and y'all sure played it faster than her. <laughs> oh, man, yep. you talking about it. 40 minutes of defensive pressure. I wanted to say another word, but I don't know if I could say that word. Hell, is that appropriate? <laughs> well, I just said it. But, uh, yeah, Coach Pettaway is enjoying him coming into the FD Clock Activity Center. Coach Pettaway, Alabama and them hires Coach Otis Hughley Jr. as a 10th head men's basketball coach. Coach Pettaway, you kind of 
said last week. You kind of hinted that it was going to be an outstanding hire. Just from my opinion, on paper, the bio, great hire. And I don't usually say right. great, I'm, I'm, very good hire. Right. I'm, I'm, happy, I'm happy with, with the hire. Uh, a lot of people applied for the job and the, the committee, you know, they, they, we did our research and this is the guy that we feel that, that will lead our program into the, you know, back, back to greatness. And I think, uh, Otis has a great track record. You know, he, he he's coached on the, in the NBA, he's coached on the collegiate level. Uh, he's been in the SWAT. So he, he touched everything that we were looking for in a coach, a coach that, that, that would know the SWAT. And he did that by being assistant coach at, at Southern university. So somehow or another, we got that Jaguar in there anyway. So uh, uh, that, that Southern flavor is now coming to the hill. And uh, he'll be able to come back home and, and hopefully he'll be able to uh, bring the brand of basketball back to Alabama A&M that our fans and alumni will be proud of. But I'm real happy for Otis. Uh, out of the candidates, out of all the candidates, I probably only – there were only four that I was not familiar with. The rest of them. You know, I knew him personally. I think if you stay in the business as long as I have, you'll cross paths with a lot of these people. And, and Otis is one of them. I remember when he was with Coach Joe. I remember when he was at Wright State uh, and up at Liberty. And then I recruited some of his players when he was at uh, the junior college at Wallace of Selma. So he's been on all levels. And that was one of the things that we were looking for, a person that wanted to plant some roots. And he's, he's, uh, his family lives in the state of Alabama. So it's, it's like coming home for him uh, after, you know, being an Olympic coach for the Nigerian women's team. Uh, now he's back on the men's side. So uh, he's got a lot. And I look forward to him uh, uh, coming on this show and, and talking with you, Carlo. Well, you know what? It's always good to have uh, building relationships. AD, I can go to things for AD. I'll go things for you, Coach Petaway, uh, Dr. Cavill. Now, Ad, you could mm -hmm. just jump in when you have a question now, because I, you know, I, I don't have to ask all the questions to Coach <laughs> Coach Petaway, so I wanted to let you know that. But uh, one uh, quick I, question, I, and then I, and then, I, then I'll, 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 I'll then you could jump in, Ad. Um, okay. Bio looks great, Coach Petaway, but is there one thing you could point to besides the bio that you could single out that kind of had you saying, hey, this is the guy? Well, I think his passion, his passion for the game. And I think the biggest thing that a lot of people are slipping on, this is the guy that used to run the, the big man camp for the NBA. You know, he's strong in, in player development. And in this day and time, you need that because you got to develop the, the talent that you have on campus. You know, a lot of times when we get these kids, uh, you know, they'll step away from being where we want them to be. And over the years, he has proven that he's a teacher of the game. And I think at a very young age, he was the face of the big man camp where all the NBA guys, they would send their post players uh, to Otis at the big man camp. And he would give them the instructions and the things that they needed to learn in terms of uh, bettering their power move and then coming up with counters. And that's the thing that, uh, that you look for in the college game because in today's game, with all the scouting and, and things that everybody do, you got to be able to, to uh, be able to make adjustments as a player and as a coach. And so, what he can do for the players, 
he can give them that edge to where they can make an adjustment during the game in terms of having a counter to go with their power move or the or their main move. All right. Coach, now someone who's been around as long as you have been, you say, like you said, you do everybody but about three or four people who were on the on the candidate list, and as the list was shrunken and shrunken, you may have known more and more of these people. So I'll need you to take me inside the uh, the room, inside the process. How how difficult or how easy was it for you to eliminate people and put people in the consideration category, given those personal relationships that you have with uh, with a lot of the candidates that was on this list how tough was that or were you able to clearly remove yourself from the process or were, were the people that, in the room asking you what do you really know about this guy we we see him as a coach but what do you may, may you may know more about one person personally than you know versus somebody who you just coached against 10 times you know kind of take right. us inside that see, well what what i did uh, in some cases i did remove myself my main my main uh, job was to go about the coaching aspect of, of that person. You know, when, when it comes to all the, the other things, the outside stuff, the fundraising, all that, I can't give you a clue about that because I don't know personal knowledge. But in watching these guys, watching film on them as they coach, I could give them a firsthand look at what they could expect. Because one of the things President and I athletic director put out there was that they wanted to make sure that that coach's style of coaching will fit what they're looking for at Alabama A&M. And that, and that was to go back to up-tempo style. Uh, they, they're looking for uh, a coach that can help put people in the seats. We want to go back to being one of the top draws in the league. And, and you've been to our place when we play. We've, we've always been one of the top draws in the league. Uh, and we want to get back to that. And I think your style of play has a lot to do with that. If you know if you if you're playing an exciting brand of basketball, then the people will come out, and that's what we're trying to get back to. So it, it was difficult in in trying to narrow it down because there were so many great people that had applied for this position. So it was very difficult on that part. But what we had to do, we we had to put our personal feelings aside, and we just had to go with our gut. And when you look at what what our president and what the athletic director and the committee came up with. I think we, we, we knocked it out the park. I think Otis would, would do the job for us. Uh, he's already hit the ground running. Uh, so I, I think our fans have a lot to look forward to. I'm excited about it. Uh, he and his staff, are going, I think they're going to bring a, a big change when it comes to style of play to Alabama A&M. Now, you mentioned moving, moving into the new place, and I believe that's supposed to be online next season. Am I, am I correct about that? Right, this coming season, yes. Okay, now, uh, as a Florida A&M grad, I was at J- Gaither, when games were played in Gaither, and then we moved to the Lawson Center. Matter of fact, I was coaching with uh, Tuskegee when the first game was played in the Lawson Center. And one of the things that I noticed was that atmosphere that was there when I was a student at Florida A&M versus coming back as an, an opposing coach in a much larger venue. Beautiful venue, but you went from a 3,000-seat band box to a 10,000-seat yep. arena 
And that was something, it, 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 it was totally, it was a totally different atmosphere, to, you know, with that. So with, with uh, A&M moving into, from that, from that beautiful band box, that, that great home court advantage that you guys had where the people are right up on, right up on, on top of you. If they, uh, you know, if they, if they pick their nose, they may flick it over on you. They so, they, they so close to you, to a, to a right. larger arena. Uh, talk, talk about that. And then talk about how, that may have played into the decision as far as going with the coach and fit their style because you're going to have to get more seats, more butts in the seats now in order to make that arena that same type of home court advantage. Right. To build that home court advantage, you you, you got to go in there from day one, making it entertaining. You know, you got you to, gotta, first of all, we got to have more than just a basketball game to draw the people in. There's got to be some, some, some things during the course of the game that are entertaining the crowd. You got to have good home uh, – halftime activity that that band our band has to travel the band has to show up and and then of course the the big show you got to put an entertaining brand of basketball on that court and then if you can bring the people out you 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 get them in jar in in uh to enjoy the game and get them to be participate participants in the game you can bring that same winter tradition back but now elmore was has has been voted by visiting coaches one of the toughest places in the nation to play in, and that was I'll co-sign on that one. On top of you, yeah, they, <laughs> people were on top of you. And see, the, the other reason why, and this is personal for me, I've lost the Southern. I think I know the one time that I did lose the Southern, Otis was a part of that coaching staff. Uh, I hadn't lost the Southern <laughs> until Otis came in there, so he made sure during during uh, his interview he brought that up. Uh, he and Coach Joe beat me for the first time. That was the first time I lost to Coach Joe was was uh, was in our place, and, and they beat us by one. But uh, you, you brought up a very good point. A lot of times when you move to a new building, it takes a while for uh, your fans to be, get acclimated. But what you need to do, you need to play natural rivals. See, it needs to be an Alabama State. It needs to be a Tuskegee. Somebody like that to get that place jump-started. When we open up, Alabama State asked us to come in and open up the Aquadome. I went to the Aquadome with the one understanding that if we open up your building when we do get ours, you need to come back and open ours up. But now, I'm going to tell you this. That was a gentleman's agreement. I guarantee you they don't forgot that by now. But that was Because <laughs> nobody's still there when you made that agreement, Coach. I know. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but, but but you're absolutely correct. A lot of times when, when, when you go from tradition to something new, it's going to take an adjustment period for our fans. But I think our fans have been looking forward to this uh, to this new arena opening, and I think they'll be there. If we pick the right opponent for that first game, I think that's very important to get us off to a good start. And we, we just got to develop a new tradition. You, you bring that new event center online with a win, and you continue to – Get the players to understand that that's your house. You must protect your house at all costs, and that's what we used to say. You know, we had to know we had to know no dunk rule. You could not dunk in Elmo, not on us. If you uh -oh. if you attempted to make a dunk, if you attempted to make a dunk, you were gonna have to earn it from the free throw line. We weren't gonna try to hurt you, but we wanted to let you know that we were present. And so you you, uh -oh. you, you, you got to do things like that. You have to do things like that to, to, to excite your team, excite your fans. Yeah. 
Well, I, 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 I do remember the step, step, sit down in Elmo all the time. At least they was doing that when I, when I used to visit there. Go ahead, Carlos. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I mean, I've heard of the, the, <laughs> the no layup rule, but the no, the no dunk rule. Coach, no, no. My last, my last question to you. I wanted to get into some NBA, but I got another guest lined up. But, okay, you okay. Uh, well, but I, I, I will say this. Um, I know you mentioned about the Nets coach being involved in the community. How important it is to um, have that to happen going forward and then reaching back to former players and even a person like you. I, I always consider you a consultant. Now, you know, Coach Hoogley, how important is it to reach back and to, uh, to get this thing continued success and going forward in a new arena? I, I think it's real important. He hit, He's hit the ground running. He's doing and saying all the right things. He knows he has to engage our alumni, our fans, this community. And he has to become a part of the community. He has to make his team a part of the community. And I would do with Coach Hubert just like I've done for every coach since I, I left Alabama a and I'm available. I'm available to help, consult, do whatever they want, uh, whatever they need to help them to be successful. I want them to be successful. That's my school. I want a coach to come in and break every record that I've ever put in, in place there. That, that's my goal. So I'm looking forward to uh, Otis getting off to a great start. I'm here to help him. My former players are here to help him. And then our fans and alumni, we've got to get behind him and push him to greater heights. Well, I guess i tell you what, the Brooklyn Nets need to consult you because everybody <laughs> had them just winning it. And, uh, Mo, I tell you, they – they seem to be in some serious trouble. We'll see tonight what what happens. But, Coach, next week I'm going to put another uh, title on you, not only ambassador, consultant, NBA analyst. How about next Saturday? Gotcha. We, 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 get, we, we get into that, the NBA playoffs. But I thought it was so important to, to talk about uh, Coach Hughley now being the new gotcha. basketball coach. Coach, have a great rest of your weekend. Stay safe and your family be blessed, and uh, we'll talk again next Saturday. Uh, thank you, Carlos. You all be safe and God bless. Have a great week. Thank you. That was Coach Van Petaway, the Coles Brown Show's basketball NBA analyst, consultant, ambassador for basketball here on the Coles Brown Show. Go take a timeout. Let's see if we can um, find our last guest. That's Coach Terrence Grave, associate head football coach, linebackers coach, and special teams coach for Southern University. You're watching the Carlos Brown Show on the Black College Sports Network. We'll be right back. The top HBCU programs in the nation come to Montgomery, Alabama's Riverwalk Stadium this May 11th through 14th for the Black College World Series. The best Black College baseball teams in the NCAA Division II and the NAIA will battle for Black Baseball's ultimate prize. Games will be streamed live at www.mybcsn.net. Tickets are available now online at www.blackcollegechampionships.com. The top HBCU programs in the nation come to Montgomery, Alabama's Riverwalk Stadium this May 11th through 14th for the Black College World Series. The best Black College baseball teams in the NCAA Division II and the NAIA will battle for Black Baseball's ultimate prize. 
games will be streamed live at www.mybcsn.net. Tickets are available now online at www.blackcollegechampionships.com. For 200 years, Montgomery, Alabama has been making history by people who had the courage to stand up for change. Today, this riverfront city has been reborn, embracing the past and looking forward to the future. From the National Memorial for Peace and Justice to the stage of the Alabama Shakespeare Festival, this is where history was and is made. We are proud to call Montgomery home, and together, we can be the change. Supermarket sushi, really? No. Wait, Troy, you work here? I'm never not working. Like head and shoulder scalp shield technology, up to 100% dandruff protection, even between washes. Never not working, huh? Oh, Troy, you're such a good teacher. Yeah, I know. <laughs> never not working. Never not working. Never, ever not working. Are you serious? Never not working. Standard protection that's never not working. Head and shoulder scalp shield technology. From novice to aficionado, find yourself here. High quality cigars plus personal customer service. Slow Burn is Waco's only mobile cigar lounge featuring a meticulous curated collection of premium cigars. Visit our website www.slowburnwaco.com That's www.slowburnwaco.com This is the Dean of the College of HBCU Sports, Kenyatta Cavill of Dr. Cavill's Inside the HBCU Sports Lab with Mike Washington and Charles Bishop. Come mix it up in the lab where the course lecture is in session every Tuesday from 6 o'clock p.m. Central Standard Time on Facebook Live, YouTube, Spreaker, or the BCSN app. As we discuss all things about the HBCU sports culture, including exploring the week that was in the sporting HBCU dashboard as well as the upcoming week of HBCU Sports. With me, the Dean, the College of HBCU Sports, on Dr. Cavill's Inside HBCU Sports Lab with Mike Watts and Charles Bishop. Course lecture dismissed. The top HBCU programs in the nation come to Montgomery, Alabama's Riverwalk Stadium this May 11th through 14th for the Black College World Series. The best black college baseball teams in the NCAA Division II and the NAIA will battle for black baseball's ultimate prize. 
Games will be streamed live at www.mybcsn.net. Tickets are available now online at www.blackcollegechampionships.com. For 200 years, Montgomery, Alabama has been making history by people who had the courage to stand up for change. Today, this riverfront city has been reborn, embracing the past and looking forward to the future. From the National Memorial for Peace and Justice to the stage of the Alabama Shakespeare Festival, this is where history was and is made. We are proud to call Montgomery home, and together, we can be the change. Supermarket sushi, really? No. Wait, Troy, you work here? I'm never not working. Like head and shoulder scalp shield technology, up to 100% dandruff protection, even between washes. Never not working, huh? Oh, Troy, you're such a good teacher. Yeah, I know. <laughs> never not working. Never not working. Never, ever not working. Are you serious? Never not working. Standard protection that's never not working. Head and shoulder scalp shield technology. From novice to aficionado, find yourself here. High quality cigars plus personal customer service. Slow Burn is Waco's only mobile cigar lounge featuring a meticulous curated collection of premium cigars. Visit our website, www.slowburnwaco.com. That's www.slowburnwaco.com. Welcome back to this week's edition of the Coles Brown Show right here on the Black College Sports Network. I'm joined now by Coach Terrence Grave, associate head coach, linebackers coach, special teams coach for some university. <laughs> coach Graves, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Carlos, and to all that are on the panel today. Yeah, I'm joined by A.D. Drew. Uh, A.D. Drew, for those who don't know, I'm sure they know, but tell them a little bit about uh, the name of your show here on the Black College Sports Network. Uh, you can catch myself along with my partner, Brian Fulford, every Sunday evening. That's 7 o'clock Eastern, 6 o'clock Central, right here on the Black College Sports Network, the BCSN Sports Wrap where we go inside the world of HBCU athletics from a more from a fanatic point of view. We get into the business side. We get into the uh, polls. Make sure you check our new baseball poll that will that comes out each and every Sunday. Carlos was ha- probably was happy last week when he saw Southern was our number one baseball team. So, uh, yeah, just check us out. We always have a lot of good content. And I know tomorrow's show, I'll go ahead and tell you this, Carlos and Coach. It's it's like trying – it's like having a size 38 waist and, try, and trying to get it inside of a size 34 pants. That's how much content we got to get in inside our two hours that, uh on, on tomorrow's show. So, you know how, you know how uncomfortable that's going to be, but we're going to squeeze them in there. <laughs> Well, I, I, I'm not going to get into the, uh, and I know what you're talking about. The ACFMU is resigned, but anyway, 
Oh, that's that, that's even more than that. I mean, there's, there's so much going on in HBCU sports over the past seven to ten days, and you got the draft coming up uh, Thursday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. So we we got to get into the draft too. So that's why I say it's it's, it's gonna be it's gonna be an uncomfortable tight line trying to get a just like that uncomfortable belt line where you wind up putting on a couple extra pounds uh, after Thanksgiving and Christmas, and you still trying to get into your summer pains. Well, I'll make sure I tune in. I, I, I really uh, will. And now I'm gonna try to get some. Uh, and this this coach is very crafty. Now he's not gonna say what he doesn't want to say, but I want to try to find out about the spring game and his transition coming back to Southern University because he's well liked, well respected, well loved. Coach Graves, first and foremost. How does it feel to be back in uh, Baton Rouge and then um, with Southern University again? Carlos, I tell you, it's uh, it's a great feeling. It feels good to be back in Baton Rouge, back on the bluff, where I uh, started this journey uh, 29 years ago. Um, it really feels good. It's almost surreal. I uh, never thought that I'd have this opportunity uh, to return back to Southern University. And uh, just by, you know, God's will, this is where I wound up. And uh, it's been it's been really good. It's been uh, the reception has been good. It's been funny because a lot of people that don't know or did not know that I once coached here at Southern, you know, um, they're, they're always telling me, uh, well, well, I'm going for uh, – the game in November. Oh, I'm going to forgive you for what you did to us in November. And, I just <laughs> that, but, and then I tell them, I say, well, I started here. And it's, oh, okay, all right, well, welcome back. So it's been, it's been good. Yeah, well, I, I, I do remember that last year's Bayou Classic, <laughs> although I would like to forget it is history. And you cannot yeah. forget it. But with that being said, now back on the bluff, Reestablishing relationships that you had before. The city's changed. Traffic is much worse. We'll leave that one alone. But then getting back on the field where you're most comfortable for, comfortable with in the spring. Um, Coach, is it too much emphasis put on the spring from your experience, or is it um, the situation where championships, successful seasons, are built in the spring. Well, I think um, I think that the emphasis uh, is probably out. Um, it's it's overblown um, mm-hmm. by the excitement of of you know this team has this guy, this team has this transfer, this team has this coach. You know, I think it's 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 overblown. I think for the co- from the coaching aspects. Um, it was it was a it's a really good spring. Um, you know, we got a chance to get in. We had a great. I thought we had did a really good job in winter conditioning. Uh, coach Johnson, who's our strength and conditioning coach, thought he did a really good job. Um, and then those guys really bought in. And then it transitioned over into our spring practice. Uh, for for me, um, and as well as the coaches here, it was more about trying to find out. 
um, who we had, what what those guys could do, how well would they grasp our system, uh, just, you know, transitioning from what they did prior to uh, what we're doing now and what we would do going forward. So it was, it was a pretty good spring from that aspect. Coach, do you get more questions about, you know, the defensive perspective? Of course, you, you know, you coach linebackers, and, and I know you'll have some uh, help coming, you know, in the summer for the fall. But overall, for that specific unit, you got what you were looking for? Pretty much, uh, surprisingly, um, we did a good job of, of, you know, signing some guys. Um, we actually signed uh, a linebacker that I was recruiting at the other school. So um, it was good <laughs> that we were able to get him. So, uh, as well as uh, a few other ones. Uh, and then we had uh, there were a few guys here that were, that were really good football players and and they had really good springs, and those guys will um, also be a great help for us in that position. I don't get a lot of, um, I don't get a lot of, you know, conversation about the position. Uh, I know there were some concerns in regards to the position as well as others, but I thought we did a really good job of solidifying. And like I said, those guys that were here, I thought they did a really good job of. of buying into what we want to do and, and, and how I coach and how I teach. And they really gave great effort and, and, and they went out and did a good job in the spring. So that was, that was pleasing from, from that standpoint. All right, coach, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. You also a special teams coach there with uh, Southern, correct? Yes. Yes. All right. So office go way out here in left field right now, but I've, 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 always wondered this, especially when it comes to spring practice. Every spring game that I have ever gone to, high school, collegiate, whatever, special teams is an afterthought. You know, when when you when you when you do kick a field goal during spring during a spring game, it's it's the offensive line stay out there, the defensive line stay out there, nobody comes off, and it's basically the, the snapper, the holder, and the kicker. He gonna make it. He not gonna make it. No, no simulation of of a game type uh, situation. They might as well be off on that other field, away from the practice field, kicking. It just got the other uh, players out there on the field. Same same thing with the punt. With uh, it's the snapper, it's the punter, and and, and it's somebody down there either faking like they go fair catch the ball and working on their fair catch or just running and trying to get that space and cover the ball, but they're not returning it. And the reason I break this up is one of the things when we see those games in early August and September, one of the things that always hurt teams is special teams. So I'm just kind of curious. It seems like you don't see it during the live scrimmages or the uh, or the spring game during the spring. How much does that really affect them come to fall? Because you really don't know if you got a kicker or not who can kick under pressure. You really don't know all these other things that have to deal with special teams until it's almost too late. Go ahead, Coach. Well, I don't know if you watched our spring game, but our spring game was live. <laughs> so uh, it was a game time. But, you know, in, in general, in general right. when, I, when I'm talking yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah. A lot of teams, and it really is because of uh, a lot of coaches – 
uh, concerned about injuries. Uh, you know, those were those, the special teams are where some of your most uh, vicious hits and injuries occur, even during the season. So it's basically a, a safety measure because there are times that in practices, especially in the spring and in the fall, um, where t- coaches, special teams coaches, they will have live segments. There will be live segments uh, because you have to find out um, who can who can fair catch a punt or who can catch a punt uh, under duress. Um, can the kicker kick under duress? Um, can the kickoff return and can those returners return under duress? And can the kickoff cover team and the punt teams, can they protect and cover and tackle uh, in live situations? So it happens. Uh, it's pretty much more in segments of practice as opposed to, um, like you said, um, in the spring games. I, now, t- I'll tell you this. Some of our players were shocked that we did it live because they had never seen it before. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm, I'm one that I tend to, and if you know my history with special teams, I take special teams very seriously. And it's just not, you know, I don't do the coach beat, you know, it's a third of the game. It's this and that. And all that's true. But then the effort and the work that's put in, it, it's it's schemed up just like uh, offense and defense because contrary to what many people don't know, you can score more ways on special teams than you can in offense and defense. So we take the we take the attitude. Um, we when we had pads on full pads uh, this spring in practices. Our PAT field goal block was live every time, you know, it was live. Um, we did, we did a phase of punt, punt return, um, you know, where it was live. Um, and then, you know, kickoff, kickoff return, uh, was, was live. So then what we did, we incorporated it in the, um, in the, in the blue and gold game and you correct early in the season, um, that seems to stick out with the special teams, uh, things because guys are trying to really get a feel. But, I mean, that's like that in offense and defense. Everybody's trying to get their feet wet, trying to figure out who's going to do what, how guys going to do this, how guys going to do that. But to really go back to the, the answer that I stated prior to, really coaches don't do it because of more of a safety issue. All right. That, next question. And, I, and I'm going to stay on special teams because uh, doing your – during your first response, you made me think about uh, something else. You know, special teams is one third of the game. Right. So, do do you look for that that next that next level of starter who just not quite uh, there as a number one on the on the offense or defense to put them on special teams, or are these clear? Second, 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 third uh, layer on the depth chart. Or these are the kind of guys who you look to put on on special teams, or or your or your freshmen, or things like that, just to get them uh, playing time to get them some some live contact on the field. How do you go about building your special teams and making sure that they are that they can contribute? They're one third of the game because you know special teams is one of those things you don't. It's like insurance. You don't think about it until you need it, until they need to make a play or, or, or make a big uh, play, or they screw the play up. 
that's what you think about special teams as as a as a general fan. But as a coach, I know you get into it every day. Go ahead, coach. Well, for me, um, it's a combination of all those things. I I have starters on my special teams. I have second team guys on my special teams. I have freshmen, you know, guys that are capable and ready to play. Uh, yeah, really, if you have – now, I took this from when I first started coaching uh, over 20 years ago. Um, Joe Alvazano, who used to be the special teams coach for the Dallas Cowboys, he was considered one of the best ever. Um, he made a statement at a convention, and I was there, and he said, if your second team guys – are not starters on special teams. You've made mistakes in recruiting. Hmm. And and that hit that hit me like like a linebacker on an isolation play. And that's been pretty much my deal. Um, you know, those guys that are legitimate second team guys must be starters on all special teams. Now again, my starters also play on special teams. It's Special teams are not a scrub squad, as a lot of people may tend to think it is. Not from from what we do here at Southern University, and that's not part of my philosophy. And so, um, what I do is is I, I try to plug in all my second, my for sure second team guys on offense and defense, and then I put the starters in there in critical positions. Or what I'll do is I'll try to get if if say a year where um, you have really good, you know, your your ones and twos are basically tit for tat, but somebody has to be a one, somebody has to be a two. Well, in situations like that, you try to have as many of those guys on your special teams, and then what you do is you take your ones and you put them behind the twos because now you have to do that on special teams. You, on special teams. Because right. when you travel, you're only limited X amount of players. So you can't, you know, you can't. You, the, my rule is this. If a guy who's not a one or a two on offense and defense, he has to be a tremendous special teams player, and he must start on at least four special teams in order to travel. So mm. that, that's punt, punt return, kickoff, kickoff return, because we know, you know, PATE and field goal block is basically – uh, offense, you know, offensive line. Offensive line, defensive line. Defense, you know, the defense. So unless he's a guy that has a knack for blocking. So my rule is if we're going to use a guy that's maybe a third-team guy, a freshman, what have you, he's going to have to start on all four in order for him to travel. And that's just the rule that we use. And I've always used, and it's always worked out because, again, what you don't want, you don't want a guy that played one segment of a special team's and, and and then he travels, and that's that's all he does. Now, if we're talking about a deep, I mean, a, a deep snap or a holder, that's critical to what we need to get done. That's the exception rule. But when in terms of special teams, we look for. I look for again my starters, my second team guys, and then those guys that that are committed and do a really great job. Um, and and we'll start on four phases of of the special teams in order to. Uh, be a part of the special teams units. Very detailed. It gives you another thought about special teams because, as you stated, the cliche part, and I've used it, you know, it's a third of a football game, a t- team. You can win your game and lose your game. Since you've been talking, 
coach. I've had people to uh, text me and said, will we correct the snap or uh, situation? And I know you can't go into intricate details, but you could say yes or no. It will be corrected. Oh, yeah, it'll be corrected. That was a situation that some changes were made. So uh, uh, kudos to uh, Ethan Howard who stepped up. And stepped in. Uh, as a matter of fact, we were because of the situation, because of the changes that were made at that position. We were we were thinking about doing what um, AD was alluding to earlier about just you know sending guys out there on the air and the whole nine. Mm-hmm. That's what the original game plan was because you know we had a last minute situation so. Uh, and and Ethan had only been you know practicing maybe a week. Uh, he did it in high school, and and he'll be a guy that um, he'll get better. Um, of course, you know when you jump in the week of, uh, right, right, it's going ugly duckling. So, um, and I wasn't concerned about that. I mean, I know to a lot of people, well, what's going on with the snapper? Well, uh, rest assured that that situation is is taken care of. So. But like I said, kudos to him. And like I said, it was a game time situation. And we took the special teams live. And then it was actually fun because, I mean, we had some blocks. We had some, you know, we had some a fake punt, which the blue team called. And I didn't call. I was on the gold team, the winning team. So I just want everybody to know that. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, yeah, I, and that's a stab at the coaches on the blue team because. They talked all week long about what they were going to do to us. But now, getting back to that. So, it was fun. I mean, you know, we got a chance to see guys block punts. And then we had some, We had some. you know, um, um, Josh did a great job when we snapped, got the ball down, kicked it. So, I mean, it was, it was, some, it was some, some things in there that, that weren't pretty, but we also accomplished a lot as well. So, um, that situation is, is, is taken care of, and, and we'll be fine there. Visiting with Coach Terrence Grave. Boy, you got a lot of titles there. Associate head coach, linebackers coach, special teams coach. And you, you kind of seen how a lot of the interest has been on special teams. But talk about now working with uh, DeMarcus Miller, Coach Miller, uh, and, and, and the rest of the coach, Coach Wallace. And I'm sure I'm missing somebody. Safety coach. But the defensive coaches, how has it been working with them and uh, how has the uh, continuity been on and off the oh, field? It, it, it's been a blast, um, um, Carlos. Uh, remember, Sean, Sean Wallace, he coached with us in 95. Um, and then DeMarcus Boo Boo, of course, I coached him as a player. And then he, he coached with us in the early 2000s uh, when he was a GA and then he left and went off and did some coaching on college level and then high school. So we've always stayed in touch. So and then of course, uh, Coach Henry Miller and I, we coached together uh, at Southern from 2000 to 2006. And when I was coordinating, and and, and Henry was the secondary coach. So uh, you know, it's never a dull moment with those guys. I mean, it, it's a it's a great time. We laugh, we, you know, we get on each other. Um, you know, it's, it's it, when we, when we, uh, all of us are passionate. So when we, we agree to disagree, 
you know, it's full of passion. And if you were walking by, you think we'd be in there fighting, but we're in there, you know, hey, I, hey, this is, hey, look, listen, let me show you this. Let me show you this. What do you think about this? And it's okay, okay. You know, so it's fun. And, uh, you know, we do, we do, we have a great time together. We, you know, we, uh, for the most part, we all uh, get in the car. Everybody fusses when nobody's in the car. If you're not in the car going to lunch together, uh, you know, then you get ragged for that. Oh, you're not going with us today, huh? Or whatever, whatever. Now, you know, you got something to do. You got something to do. But we pretty much a close-knit group, uh, really knowledgeable men, um, very, very, very um, good football coaches, but they're very, very good men, men of character, you know, family men, God-fearing men, uh, great role models and leaders, and that that helps, and that will be – that will make the difference um, – even in adverse times and situations. And, uh, um, you know, Sean Wallace was on the blue team. I just wanted to say that. Um, <laughs> that so uh, I know he's going to kill me for saying it, but oh well. But, yeah, um, but yeah, we, we it's been fun. It's been great. Uh, those guys do a really good job at, at what they do. Uh, Sean's, Sean's passion and energy at the safety spots. Uh, of course, those guys are gonna, you know, they're gonna they're gonna have to take on his personality because we know how he is, and how he was as a player. The same thing with Demarcus, Coach Boo Boo. Same way, Coach Allen Clark is the defensive ends coach. He uh, coached him up north, and he's doing a tremendous job with those guys. And and then of course, Coach Henry Miller. You know, he's 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 the corners Nick corners guy, and he's. You know he, you know how intense he is, and of course, you know I'm the quiet one on the staff, so uh, I just try to, you know, fit in where I can. Wow, the quiet one, <laughs> Coach Gray. Really? <laughs> you must. You've changed a little bit. I know the passion is still there. No, I, 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 can, I, I can share some stories. I tell you what. Well, we're literally out of time, Coach Grace, but uh, hopefully we can uh, talk with you again real soon and um, kind of just specifically talk about the linebackers' uh, position. But I, all I'm gonna say is help. Help is on the way. Help is oh, on yeah. the way, and I'm glad you said that. The ones that are already in the program develop. Got, got one last question before we get off, Coach. Give me an over under on HBCU players that get drafted this week. This week. Mm. Oof. Uh, man, that's tough. I, I, I would. Oof. I I set the number at four and a half. I got the number at four and a half. Give me the over and under. Four and a half. Four and a half. Man, that's tough. I'll say, cause I'm I'm on that. I'm right there about four, so I'd say under. I'm right at about okay. four. Hopefully, I'm. See, wrong. that's why I put that half on that. <laughs> you know, I'm super wrong. I hope I'm super wrong, but hey. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna be from Missouri. I, I, you gotta show me. It, there's a lot of talent, yeah. but you know, yeah. in, in the past they've. I, it, I think three. I think three are a lot. It's gonna be. Can we get the other two? I, you know what? I, and, and I think three are a lot, and, I, and and you say two, and I think it's actually, I think it's possible three that should should get in. But yeah, I, I, I think, 
I think it'd be up to around six. If if all go, it'd be about it'd be about right. six. But I, I, three, I think, are are one hundred percent lock. If those three don't get, yeah. and we all know who we're talking about, if those three don't get drafted, right. then we we, right. might, we might as well just all focus on USFL. Yeah. <laughs> right. I think, I think I'm gonna be from Missouri. You got to show yeah. me yeah. that the history yeah. of the NFL. It's easy to get them as a free agent. Yeah, well, and I'm not saying it's right. Yeah, hopefully right. that has changed. It's yeah. great to be in the HBCU landscape, but guess what? There has been a history. There was a history. There is a history, before, yeah. even before this time, and I'll leave it at that. Coach Grace, enjoy the rest of your weekend. Appreciate it. We'll talk again real soon. Thank you. Y'all do the same. All right. Stay All right, safe. All right. All right. AD, that's going to wrap it up. I have hey. to go. <laughs> I, I appreciate uh, all the guests I appreciate you producing AD as well and don't forget the Coles Brown show right here on the Black College Sports Network every Saturday from 11 a.m. Central Standard Time to 1 p.m. until next time as always peace and God bless we'll holler <laughs>